0: All right, well, good morning again. Uh, If you are new here with us this morning, welcome to Alpine First Baptist Church. We are so glad that you are here, and you've come on an excellent Sunday because we start a new series going through the book of Exodus. So if you have your Bible with you, I encourage you to open up there. It's right after Genesis. It's the second book of the Bible this morning. Uh, We're gonna be looking at the first seven verses to kind of give us an overview or an introduction of what to expect coming into Exodus this morning. So as you're turning there, as I was thinking about the story of the Exodus, it's really a story of us, because humans tell stories. Stories shape us. They shape our families. They often, they give insight to who we are and why we do certain things Consider it for a moment. What is the story of your life? Where have you been? Where has God brought you to? Maybe it's been influenced by how you were raised, the stock that you come from, in a sense. If you were to ask my children where they come from, they would most likely answer dry Prong, Louisiana. And they're right that that's where they're from. But if you were to ask my mom where she's from, even though she's 75 yards away from our house and she lives in Dry Prong, Louisiana, she probably answered that question a little bit differently. You see, she'd probably answer it that she is from a nomadic family, that she moved 13 times to 13 different homes by the time that she was in the sixth grade, that her dad was a minister and he never stayed in one place for too long. Two and a half years was probably his max, and then they were moving again. She tell you that her mother was a teacher, and that the favorite place, her favorite place in the world, was with her grandfather on Tullis Lane, who they affectionately called Good Buddy. And some in our community still remember him as Blondie. You see, who we are is more than just a location. Who we are has been molded and shaped by where we have come from and the stories that have shaped our lives. So consider your story this morning, your upbringing. Maybe it's the unspoken rules in your family. I can still hear my dad, like, growing up, if I fell down and get hurt, his immediate reaction was, get up, son, you'll get over it. It'll be all right. (laughs) And so I still tell myself that today. That's still a story in in my mind. Whenever I encounter something difficult, it's still ingrained in me. It's going to be all right. You'll get over it. It's going to be fine. Just push through. What is it? that shaped you. Maybe it's the dad who was there or the dad who was never there. Maybe it's when you became a Christian, when you first heard the gospel for the first time or someone that's been really influential in shaping and molding your lives. Maybe it's not all rosy. Maybe it's a life of neglect or abuse. Maybe you had a family member that abused you. And this has shaped how you see everyone, how you encounter every interaction in your life. You see, our stories and the stories we tell, they shape us. And this is exactly why Exodus matters. Now, you might be thinking... Why spend the next undetermined amount of time working through the entire book of Exodus? Wouldn't there be something more pertinent for us to study? It seems like the world is crashing down around us, so maybe we should go to Revelation, or maybe we should do a series on parenting or something like that. There are three reasons here, before we begin, why I believe that the Exodus is important for us to study. It's going to be on your screen. The first reason I think that Exodus is important for us to story is because it tethers ourselves to the unified story of Scripture. It grounds us. So here's what I mean. Much of the contemporary church, especially in evangelical circles, suffers from being unhitched from the Old Testament, untethered to be blown by whichever wind blows them. This has led to novelty and self-expression being prized over wisdom and experience. This has made churches feel more like an event than a people. Uh, I've seen it, you know, maybe you've seen it on Twitter or social media, the churches that have had Super Bowl parties but for their Sunday service where uh, they, the I don't even know if it was a pastor who was dressed as a referee, but it was all Super Bowl football themed and focused. And it was an, an intent to draw in people to the church, but we don't need to do that. You see, we have the Scriptures of the living God. Here for us. We tether ourselves to the Old Testament because, as Paul tells the Roman Church, it was written for our sake. Romans 15:4 says, For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. So here's what Paul is saying: that these scriptures are written for you. They're written for us. A story that happened, what, 3,500-ish years ago is still important and pertinent for us today to understand and navigate our lives. Paul tells the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that they all passed through the sea, that they all ate the spiritual food, and they all drink. These things happened as an example for them. The second reason that I think that this is important for us is that the connections of the Old Testament help us to understand the New Testament and the person and work of Jesus more clearly, which helps us to understand ourselves rightly. Seeing how the Scripture, the story of Scripture unfolds, helps us to see that the God of the Old Testament is not morally inferior or different from the God revealed in Jesus. If you spend a lot of time in the Old Testament, people have become really uncomfortable with it about Maybe the conquest of Canaan, and how do we deal with that? Because Jesus is all love, right? But are they different? How do we understand these things rightly? Understanding the Old Testament will help us understand the New Testament. And when we understand and see the story of the Exodus, we will see uh, and understand God more clearly, and then as he's revealed in Jesus. And when we understand the story of Exodus, we'll start to see echoes of Exodus everywhere. We, under, we, we seek to endeavor this because, as Jesus says, that these things that was written about him, he says this in Luke 24, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So in one way, if you're here at church this morning and you want a deeper walk with God, you want to follow more, more closely with him to understand him better, it's important for us then to understand the exodus. It's a wonderful story that helps us to see Jesus more clearly. And here's the last reason I think that it's going to be important for us today. And this might be one of the most important things for us. Our generation is confused as to the nature of true freedom. Our generation is confused as to the nature of true freedom. Let me read a quote from you from Alistair Roberts, who wrote a book called Echoes of Exodus. He says this, No matter how often we experience liberation from constraints, limitations, and oppressions, we still find ourselves falling into new forms of bondage. We get free from boredom and fall into the slavery to distraction. We pursue liberty from prohibitions and fall into bondage to addictions. We escape repression and become enslaved to lust. The Exodus story is to shape our story. God's people are Exodus people. We have seen the pain of oppression like in Egypt and the dangers of compromise and idolatry like the wilderness wandering. Here's what he says. Exodus tells us that there is little point in being free from serving Pharaoh if we are not also free to serve the Lord. Here's why the Exodus is important. It's because God doesn't just save us to wonder. He doesn't just save us to just kind of figure out our lives. He saves us to himself. He saves us from the freedom of the penalty and suffering of sin to be saved to follow Jesus into his new life, light, and rule. So this morning... What I'd like us to do is just take a step back and show how the Exodus story is not a new story. And if you have been following along in your Bibles for, say, in Genesis, you have actually seen the Exodus story play over and over and over and over again. So by the time we get to the Exodus and you read the first seven verses, you're like, ah, yes, I've seen this story before. So let me give you an illustration. I can't take credit for this uh, because Alistair, who I just read, he, he likens Scripture to music. And then Tim Mackey from the Bible Project, he compares Scripture to blue note jazz. Let me show you the connection that they're making. Uh, I have an image on the screen, John Coltrane, and I think I got the music queued up. I want to play just like the first 10 seconds of this song for you. So this is one of John Coltrane's most famous songs. And that song right there, what you just heard, is ten minutes long. And th- what they do is he, he just takes that melody, that ba-da-da-da-da, ba-ba-ba, da 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 ba ba And then he infuses it with all of these other different instruments, with all of this different time signature, playing harmonies and melodies in different ways. He explores it when a piano comes in, or the trumpet comes in, or the bass comes in and leads the song. But in one way, the the song is all the same. It's built on the first bit of melody in here. Scripture is a lot like that. The melody of Scripture starts like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And in the beginning, we see that God, in the midst of creation, has elevated among his creation one being, a human which God has breathed His breath into and set them apart to rule over and steward creation, and God called this good. But we see in the melody of the Bible that that doesn't last for long. What happens next? We know folly, violence, and justice uh, happens next. The elevated human, made in the image of God, was invited to walk in God's wisdom and ways, but instead of listening to the wisdom of God, they listened to the lies of the serpent. This is not necessarily a story of an exodus, but a story of an exile, where they are brought out of God's presence, goodness, and rest. But we know if we've we've paid attention to the first three chapters of Genesis, God hasn't kicked them out and they're done with it. No, God has promised that there is one to come from the line of the woman where hope is going to be restored. So you're you're waiting for this. You're anticipating what's going to happen next. So you fast forward to the next story of Cain and Abel. And Cain, again, takes wisdom into his own hands, not in the form of fruit from the tree, but from a rock of the ground, and he kills his brother. Fast forward in this line of Cain, and you get to a city of Babel that delights in their military prowess and violence, and the cry of injustice is so great that the Lord hears and decides to let the chaotic waters that he divided in Genesis 1, fall back in on himself. And then the melody repeats. Because if you've read Genesis lately, you'll know that there is one that God calls righteous and blameless. Do you remember who that is? Anyone? It's Noah. He says that Noah is righteous and blameless, and his name literally means rest, so if you're, you're tracking with the story, it's like God is going to restart. He is, he's bringing up one righteous intercessor chosen that's going to bring new life and creation. He builds an ark. They survive the floodwaters. And the first thing that Noah does when he gets off of the ark, he builds an altar and then he plants what? He plants a garden. He plants a vineyard. And so you're like, yes. He's done it. Like, here's the righteous intercessor. He's built back the garden. He is back in communion with God. But what does Noah do? He again, like Adam and Eve, he takes the fruit of the vine. He gets drunk off of that. And then something very shameful happens in a tent with his sons. And the story repeats itself. The story doesn't end there. You fast forward to... Uh, The story of Abraham. Abram's name means exalted father, and Sarah means queen. God calls Abram and Sarah out of Babylon. They go through the wilderness. They end up on a mountain where they build an altar, and they cry out to God. God creates a new covenant with Abraham, and he tells them this, that like Noah... In a way, he is going through Abraham's line to bring God's blessing to the nations. Genesis 12, 3 says, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So you have Adam who's supposed to fulfill the role. He does not. Noah that's supposed to fulfill the role. He does not. You have Abraham now that's supposed to fulfill the role. But if you've tracked with the story, will he do it? No, he's gonna fail. Comes... So after that comes Sodom and Gomorrah, suffering and violence again, really a decreation. It's almost like a replay of Genesis 6 in a way. Let's fast forward to one more story, one, one last one, where we'll see this story repeat and repeat and repeat again. It's a story that precedes the Exodus. It's a story of Joseph. Now, if you remember Joseph, Joseph is Jacob's favorite son, and he's given his father's royal robe. And he tells his brothers one day in a dream that he had a dream that they'll all bow down to him. Now, that's not exactly a way to to win friends and influence people on Joseph's part. But what happens? What do the brothers do? They take wisdom into their own hands. They take his brother. They throw him into a pit. They swindle the swindler. Remember Jacob who takes the fur of an animal to trick his father? They take the uh, father's now blood-soaked robe to trick him. However, God raises Joseph up. Genesis says that the spirit of the Lord is on Joseph. And he is raised into a position of power, second in command of all of Egypt. And he uses his brother to save God's chosen people and extend blessing to the nations. And you think, they've done it. Like This is what was going to happen. The, the end of Genesis has fit perfectly. This chosen one has extended blessing to the nations. But then we open up to Exodus. If you have your Bibles with you, uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 7. Now, in your Bible, it might say something like, these are the names, or now these are the names. But the literal translation from the Hebrew is, and these are the names. So what this tells us is that this is a continuation of the story from Genesis. It says this, These are the names of the sons of Israel who went to Egypt with Jacob, each with his family Reuben Simeon Levi and Judah Issachar Zebulun and Benjamin Dan and Naphtali Gad and Asher the descendants of Jacob numbered 70 in all Joseph was already in Egypt Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died But the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Let me show you how the beginning of Exodus continues the story from the beginning of Genesis. Do you remember what God tells the first humans to do in Genesis chapter 1? He tells them to do what? Be fruitful and and fill thee and subdue it. So here, when we open up Exodus, we see this, that these people, they have become exceedingly fruitful. They've multiplied greatly. They've increased in number, so numerous that the land was filled with them. So if we're tracking, like with uh, John Coltrane, we we are following the melody of the story. And we're like, yes, this is going right along, but we're going to leave on this cliffhanger. Because what do we know about the story of the Exodus? The Hebrews are fruitful and they're multiplying, but rather they're not subduing the earth, they're rather being subdued. They're not ruling over creation, but they're being ruled over. So Pharaoh is going to become this archetype of evil that we have seen in Genesis, from the serpent to Babel to Babylon, where violence and oppression and evil are done. So as we come to the story of Exodus, our minds are already queued up in a rhythm and a way to understand the story before. But why is this important? Why is this so crucial for us to understand? That's our last point, is that understanding the depths of the Exodus helps us to understand the depths of the salvation in Christ Jesus. So why is the Exodus important for us today? Because we see in the Bible... That it is one unified story building on itself. So by the time we get to the New Testament and Jesus, we are so familiar with the melody of the Old Testament, it's like we're in the 11th hour of this jazz session that the scriptures have been riffing off of. And so when we see Jesus come onto the scene, we are anticipating him to be the new righteous intercessor or the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. We are expecting Jesus to be the one, like Moses, who is going to deliver his people out of oppression. We're going to see Jesus like Noah, however, better than Noah, who brings ultimate rest. We're going to see Jesus like Abraham, who's called Exalted Father, that Jesus is the true one to bring God's blessing to the nations. So there are going to be a lot of challenging passages in the Exodus, and there are going to be some some work for us to understand But like a mountain climber who is scaling a mountain, what they do is they they track out their path and they look for good footholds to hold on to. Let me give us some footholds to hold on to as we go through the Exodus. The first one is this. Moses is going to deliver the people from Egypt, but this points to Jesus, the greater deliverer. Luke 4. 18 through 19 says this. Jesus says this. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim uh, release to the captives and recover, recovery of the sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Here's what Jesus is claiming to do. Like Moses delivered the people, the oppressed people, out of Egypt. Jesus is now going to bring uh, people out of sin. Galatians one three through four says, "Grace to you and peace from God, the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of the God of our God and Father." When we see the rescue story of the Exodus, we'll see how Jesus fulfills this role. But Jesus is not only a deliverer; he's also intercessor. And one of the most dramatic portions of the story of the Exodus, in Exodus 34 or 32, I believe, God is giving the law to Moses, and down on the, the valley, down at the mountain floor, what are the people doing? They have constructed a golden calf, and they're worshiping false gods. And God tells Moses, I am done with these people. Leave me so that my anger can burn against them. I'm turning my back on them. But do you remember what Moses says? When God says, he's gone, Moses says, remember your promise. He says this, Why does your anger burn against your people you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and a strong heart? Why should the Egyptians say he brought them out with an evil intent to kill them in the mountains and eliminate them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger and relent concerning the disaster planned for your people Remember your servants Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. You swore to them by yourself and declared, I will make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and will give your offspring all this land that I have promised, and they will inherit it forever. So the Lord relented concerning the disaster he had said he would bring on his people. At one point, Moses tells this, he goes back up to God on the mountain, and he says, these people have committed a grave sin. They have made a God of gold for themselves. Now, if you would only forgive their sin, here's Moses interceding for them, if you would only forgive their sin, but if not, erase me from your book that you have written. Here's why this is such a big deal. Our life story has been culminated and challenged and changed and shaped by a lot of good and also a lot of bad. Maybe your life has been shaped by a divorce. Maybe it's been shaped by the loss of a loved one. Maybe it's been shaped or is being shaped by addiction, shame, just a series of sin that you cannot get out of. And you might wonder, has the Lord turned his back on me? Can the Lord reach me in the place where I'm at? You see, Jesus is not just a deliverer, Jesus is also intercessor, which means this. Romans chapter 8 puts it this way. In the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness because we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised and is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Hebrews 7 says that he lives to intercede for you. He doesn't say that he begrudgingly does it. He doesn't say that he'll do it when he thinks about it. No, that this is his purpose. He lives to intercede for you. So if your story is just a mess, you can hide your story in the one deliverer who intercedes for us, Christ Jesus. He lives to do it. He lives to stand in the gap for you. Christ Jesus is our deliverer, our intercessor. How can he do this? How can Jesus do this? Because he's the God of the Exodus. 1 Corinthians 10 tells us, now I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, That our ancestors were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. So here's what Paul is saying, that through this exodus moment, the rock that they they drank from, the blessing that they received was Christ Jesus. Jesus. If that's not clear enough for us, look at the words from Jesus' little half-brother Jude. He says this, Now I want to remind you, although you came to know all these things once and for all, that Jesus saved the people out of Egypt and later destroyed those who did not believe. Who did it? it? Did God deliver them? Yes. Was it Jesus? Yes. This Jesus, the Deliverer, who lives to intercede, is for you. Come hide your life in him. I have a few more here, but I just, I want to skip those to just end here, to land the plane. Jesus is, we'll see, our true Passover lamb. You see, again, our stories shape who we are. I often ask my A group of my friends, like if there was one moment that you could go back to in your life and just hit reset and start over from that moment, what moment would it be? If you could go back to a moment in your life, think of it, if you could go back to a moment in your life and hit reset and redo all of the situation, all of the maybe bad choices, you had a better idea of what you could do, what would that moment be? That's most likely what's shaping you. Uh, the regret, the, the bad choice, the things that you wish you could do over, that's likely the thing that you are holding onto and shaping you. We remember those things. We lament those things. But here's what Jesus says about the story of the Exodus. You see, it was common for the past, well, when Jesus was on the scene, we'll say maybe for the last 1,500 years, these people have been rehearsing or practicing the Passover. And what was the purpose of the Passover is to remember that God delivered them out of Egypt and was bringing them to a promised land, that God was going to restore his people. And so on the night when Jesus was betrayed, when they're celebrating Passover and he breaks the bread with them, does he tell them to remember them being called out of Egypt? No, he changes it. He says, do this in remembrance of me. All of this is leading up to me. You see, you can have your story shaped and hidden in Christ's story. Paul tells the Corinthian church this, and if you haven't spent any time in Corinthians, which our church has, and I know Wardville did a few years ago, you know that the Corinthian church is an absolute train wreck. They're a mess. They're a mess of people. But here's what Paul says. God chose... What is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, who became to us righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. You see, the Exodus story is our story. Because in Christ Jesus, we have the offer to come and hide our life in him. So when the Father sees you, when the Father sees me, he doesn't see all of John's stupid, just dumb, idiotic mistakes. mistakes. And he also doesn't see John's willful, disobedient, running towards sin. He sees the righteousness of Jesus. And all the love that he has for the Son is all the love that he has for me. This is good news. So we, we understand, we, we seek to understand the story of the Exodus because it then becomes our story of how Jesus, as he once delivered a people out of Egypt, he's delivering me out of my sin. And as I wander in the wilderness of this life, I have the promised hope that all things will be made new one day. Last thing, throughout the Exodus, we're gonna learn three things. That God will always be rescuer and redeemer. So wherever you are in your life, wherever you need rescuing from, whatever you need redemption from, God will always be rescuer and redeemer and you can come to him. Second, God's response to evil, enslavement, and rebellion, he is against it. He seeks to release those who are being oppressed. And that we'll see through the Exodus that God is worthy of worship, that Jesus is worthy of worship. Here's what Paul says in Galatians. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, because it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. The purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles by Christ Jesus so that we could receive the promised spirit through faith. This morning, we can come to Jesus who rescues us from our sin and brings us to himself. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that as we seek to understand our own story, our own life, our own sin and willful rebellion, Father, that we also see through the story of the Exodus that you have not given up on us, And, Father, that this is not a new story, but it's actually been a story that's been repeating, that, Jesus, you have come and that you are living to intercede. You are living to call a people to yourself. Father, that you love us. So, Jesus, I pray that we understand this as we journey through this story of the Exodus together and that we allow our story, that we give our story to you so that your story can be ours. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.